podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Nat Coombe Show on ESPN. Good to have you with us. Guess who's rolled into the studio this fine Thursday afternoon at ESPN HQ. Only I'm Mike Carlson. Last time I saw him was in Miami. He's got a decent tan on gang and he's primed and ready to get into all the big NFL off-season stories. And there are plenty. So I'm Mike coming up shortly. Tom Lugerville from ESPN. How many times can I say ESPN in this intro? Part of the XFL crew up and running. What a great weekend they had. Tom's going to join us a little bit later on. He's going to be a regular all through the off-season, getting you up to speed on this brand new shiny league, which is keeping football right at us in the NFL off-season. So looking forward to checking in with Tom very, very shortly. Let's get straight down to business, though. And here's I'm Mike. Last time I saw you, I'm Mike, we were in Miami. It's like a different backdrop. Uh, yeah, it was a little bit more pleasant, wasn't it? It was also an earlier hour. We, As I, I remember, I showed up at 6, and you, we were taping at 7, and the sun still wasn't up. It was wonderful. Business. Watching the sunrise in Miami while you're doing a podcast with Nat Coombs is an experience that everyone should have I at mean, least once in their life. I think that must be on your bucket list. You can tick that one off. Anyway, have you got any revisionist thoughts on Super Bowl 54? Now you've had a couple of weeks to, to digest and maybe watch the game back again. Well, the funny thing is, the more, the more that I look at the game, the more... I still see that the calls, the crucial calls in the game were very much one-sided. They all seem to go in Kansas City's mm-hmm. way. And the Am I one, smelling a conspiracy theory here a little bit? Well, you know, I'm, who knows? But I, but I was listening to Mike Lombardi mm. um, just the other day uh, and catching up. And he reminded me of what he had said before the game, mm. which was if he were Kyle Shanahan, he would go to Bill Vinovich and say, look, they cannot block our defensive line. Mm. So if you ain't going to call holding, you might as well give them the trophy now. Right. And that's exactly the way it played out because the key play of the game, if you watch it, if you watch it again, the pass to Tyreek Hill, mm-hmm. uh, Eric Fisher gets beat by Joey Bosa right off the line of scrimmage. And as he comes up, Bosa from behind basically puts his arm around him and then pushes. Mm. And so he instead of going back to Mahomes, he goes in front and Mahomes is dropping back. He was probably 12 yards back from the line of scrimmage by the time he threw that ball. Mm. Um, but but that was the key play. And, and if you're ever going to call hold in a game, that, that would have been the one to call. So yeah, you know, and... What about Sean Shanahan who seems to get a lot of criticism in the immediate aftermath for his play calling and deviating from the run? Now looking back on it and how ineffective the run was in the in the second half, can you blame him? Is, he, is that fair criticism he's been getting? Probably... N- Less, less so, less so than it's been given. Um, the end of the first half, I was highly critical of him, but looking at it again, I can see where maybe he didn't want to risk giving the ball away. Oh, this is when he took when he. This was at the end of the first end of the half. first half when he, he was very cautious. The pass, sure. They complete the pass to Wilson, and yeah. all of a sudden they've got room to maneuver. Yeah. So he then throws the long ball to Kittle, which is another terrible call mm. of offensive. Oh, that that was maybe the worst call of all. Yeah. But I, I'm with you but, on that. that but his, then toward the end of the game, I think just on that point, that the caution because you're saying that he was maybe right to be cautious because there was enough time to give the ball back to the Chiefs, and, exactly. and that could have been a really dangerous hammer blow right before halftime. But towards the end of the game, when he deviated, the majority of the the second half, we deviated from the run. In the fourth quarter, it was hard to tell because what it looked what it looked like to me was that Kansas City was selling out to get into the backfield, basically. Mm. And you could have run some kind of counters that would have probably worked. Now, remember, he got five, five or six yards on first down. Yep. The, the first the two the two series that he had. Then he goes immediately to the pass on second down. And here's another 
play that I don't think has gotten enough attention. Um, when when uh, there was the helmet to helmet yes. on Jimmy G, yeah, and I have the feeling that after that he was not quite one hundred percent, and therefore when Chris Jones gets the block, you know, deflects the two passes, part of that is seeing where your where your lo- your lane is for throwing. I'm not sure Jimmy G was was processing that mm. as as quickly as he might, and that was another one that went uncalled, mm. and, and I thought that was a brutal no call because you know. Protecting the quarterback is the one thing that's not supposed to, you know, be a judgment call. Basically, mm. you hit the quarterback's head with your helmet after he's thrown the ball. That should be a penalty yeah, automatically. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we had Brecky the, the morning after, of course, and you were throwing that Jimmy G theory around. And it's a lot, a lot of validity in that. Enjoy? Did you enjoy week one of the XFL, Mike? More importantly, well, you know, I, I to be honest, I didn't sit and watch all all the games, mm. but I've watched highlights and stuff like that. And the level of play is about what I expected. Um, Which you know, is having, having watched Alliance, having watched the United League, having spent a long time in, in NFL Europe, World right. League. It, it's it's a little bit below World League at this point, but it's about the same as an original XFL um, in terms mm. of player in terms of player um, quality. And the first thing, of course, you look at is quarterback quality, and um, it's not going to sell itself on the quality of play. But I think this is where XFL has been really smart because. The first X- XFL tried to sell itself as a different brand of football. Yes. It's going to be meaner and rougher and stuff than the, than the, um, NFL. This XFL feels much more like an Oliver Luck and a marketing guy's project. And it's supposed to appeal to the people who watch their football on Red Zone. Mm. The people who, the younger people who all play Madden and, and want that kind of excitement from the game. And what they've done, what they're selling and what all the, newspaper coverage and stuff that I saw was about mm. was how does how do these rule changes play out and it was overwhelmingly favorable mm. now whether that's enough to carry you through the whole season which yes. is where the quality of play comes in because right. if the quality of play isn't exciting isn't good enough yeah. people will kind of drop off but I think they've taken the right step in not I don't agree with all the rules mm. but a, but but if you're aiming at an audience that's going to keep to keep, you know, to keep watching in that off season and mm. build noise, they've probably done the right thing there and trying to make a faster game, yeah. one with more scoring opportunities. It wasn't particularly. That was something they really emphasised the speed of the game. But actually, when you look at the, the, the way the numbers <laughs> it didn't, work it didn't out, really work did out it? much faster. No. Um, we're going to have a, a mailbag at the end of the. It, it was funny end of the too. Chat. I, I always look for people I recognise, right? And and the quarterbacks, I know, I know. But but uh, the biggest play of the week for XFL was mm. Steve Boharney, who was a Rutgers linebacker who had a, a cup of coffee, I think, with the Patriots and might have been bounced around. But it was that punt. Um, the punt that landed right on the one yard line. Yes, yeah, and yeah, he yeah, goes yeah, sliding yeah, yeah, in right. to save it. It's not going anywhere. Yeah, and, yeah, he, yeah. and he basically goes into the end zone yeah. and, and ruins what was the best punt. I've made ever. many plays like that playing five aside, Mike. Uh, all different kinds of reasons. Um, we're going to do mailbag at the end, but I'm going to dive in quickly now because there's a good XFL one in relation to a point you just made that I want to uh, throw at you from John. So thanks for this at the NC Show. If you want to get in touch with us on social media, get your questions in for us in the off season. Why don't current NFL backup quarterbacks get loaded off to the XFL to get meaningful? Reps, so maybe he's thinking Blake Bortles at the Renegades. It's, it's an interesting, it's an interesting question because that's that's the first difference you see in NFL Europe. If you think about it, you've got say ninety, ninety-two quarterbacks on contract to mm-hmm. the NFL teams. Mm-hmm. So the guys that you're getting in XFL are the next twenty, right? After so they're the ninety-first 
to 110th best quarterback. Oh, it's not NFL Europe. So NFL, you got 92. NFL Europe, you were getting guys who who might have even been in the 40s or 50s, depending on whether the team felt comfortable in sending him along. Got it. I think the two problems here are the NFL Europe wasn't a competing league, Mm -hmm. so obviously the NFL teams would be wary of um, of sending players to a league. Are they they really looking at the XFL as a competing league, though? Maybe, Mm -hmm. at the moment. You know, I, I think... You could wind up with some kind of working relationship, but that's what the United mm. League tried to do. It's what the Alliance tried to do, yeah. and in, in the end, it didn't work out. But the more important thing is who's going to indemnify the teams for injury is a really key right. point. Does it, and the difference and the thing that makes the XFL more likely to succeed than any of those other leagues is that they've got money behind them. Mm-hmm. So if they were rel- willing to indemnify, then it becomes a question of do you just want them being coached by those guys? And there are mm. a few teams where the coaching staffs would be similar um you got hal mummy say with dallas Mm -hmm. hal mummy was the guy who invented the air raid mike leach learned it from him Mm. at georgia southern at at kentucky um you've got norm chow who was an nfl coordinator um you know zones of the mix hamilton's a head coach he was a you know he was a coordinator so you know you could conceivably send a quarterback to a specific team Mm. But I'd say, you know, again, is he injury protected, I think would probably be the biggest question standing behind that. And that's a good one to ask Tom because yeah. Tom's dad, I knew Tom's dad, you know, Al, Al Luganbill, uh, who coached the Amsterdam Admirals and, and was great at putting together a team quickly, you know, because you have to put right. together a, a brand new team every year in that league. Right. Um, kind of like a college coach, but even more so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even more cute. Tom on the show later on, he'll get us up to speed. On all of week one of the XFL, look ahead to some uh, key matchups this weekend. All of it available on ESPN Player, of course, if you're listening uh, or watching in the UK. Right, back to the NFL, Mike. And the off-season, I think, seems seems busier than ever. I mean, we've talked a lot about the NFL creating this 24-7-365 league, and they'd be very shrewd and smart at controlling the news cycles in, in the off-season. But, I mean, there always seemed to be a gap, even in the last couple of years, between the Super Bowl and things kicking up again, this year it feels like there wasn't any gap at all. It just rolled in. And everybody was talking about all kinds of... Now, there's a lot, I think, a particularly interesting free agency uh, passage coming up and a number of notable quarterbacks that are going to be on the market. Let's start with those and Philip Rivers and the story that we expected uh, to play out as it has, leaving the charges. We've often talked about Eli Manning in the Hall of Fame because they're such close contemporaries. Where are you on Rivers in the Hall of Fame? So he's looking at the numbers, 60,000 yards, which puts him sixth all-time ahead of Eli, who's seventh. Um, 400 touchdowns. He's comfortably over 500 in his win percentage. Of course, Eli uh, right on the button there. No rings. So does if, if Rivers doesn't play anymore... Is he a Hall of Fame quarterback? He's borderline in mm. my mind. Um, I've, I've done a couple of pieces on this uh, with him and Ben Roethlisberger and Eli. And Ben and Rivers are significantly above Eli when you look at them statistically for the careers. Yes. Um, ben has two rings. Eli's got two rings. That's one big difference between them. Eli, strangely enough, is the only guy whose statistics get better in the postseason right. than the regular season. This is my argument of him making the Hall of Fame. But they're still not as good as Ben's or Rivers in the postseason. Statistically, yeah, but then you've got to yeah. cut through that. But that's, we're not talking, yeah. Eli, talking Rivers. But that, so that's an borderline. interesting thing. And that's going to be – Eli played in New York and he won two Super Bowls. Right. And they were both big wins because they were over the Patriots. And one of them, obviously, was a huge win because it was over the undefeated Patriots. And the part of the Super Bowls as that's, well, right? That's his Super Bowl case. That's his Hall of Fame case yes. right there. If you look at his career, he was 
probably a slightly better than league average quarterback right. for right. most most of his career. And it shows in the fact that he's never a first team all pro. He's mm-hmm. never the best quarterback in the league. He's never the second best quarterback in the league. Mm. Um, and and the question is how 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 far down the line can you go with quarterbacks? To put them in the Hall of Fame, right? Jim Plunkett won two Super Bowls, very much like Eli. I think a career, you know, very similar. He's not in the Hall of Fame. Mm. Philip Rivers' career to me is much more like Dan Fouts's, mm. although he's not considered the best passer in the league the way Fouts was at right. any point, basically at any point in his career. So that to me works against him as well, which is why I say borderline. You know, mm. if there was a Hall of the Very Good. <laughs> then they'd, be, they'd be in there. It depends a lot on how you define fame as well. And and to me, Ben Roethlisberger is the ha, probably has the best case of the three mm. because he's got the statistical package plus the two Super plus Bowls. Yeah. But think about Ben's rings. The first ring he got, he was throwing the ball nineteen times a game, and, and he was in the Super Bowl. Didn't he really was, he had a they won despite Bowl. despite of yeah. him. Yeah. Well, this is this is the point about Eli, which when uh, pre Super Bowl Brady and I were chatting about this. Uh, and I'd state the case, so I'm not going to repeat myself on the pod. But you go, were talking to Tom Brady? Greg was... Brady. But we will talk Tom Brady in a minute. We will talk, actually talk to both of them, to be frank. Are they related? I don't know. Where is he going to land, Rivers? I mean, the Bucks have been touted as an option. The Panthers, who... Uh, well, he's, he's now living around. in a, tra- in a like, luxury trailer park in, in Jacksonville, no, I don't right? think that's true, <laughs> Mike. Um, I imagine him in a... He's well, a good old Southern boy. Yeah, one of those... It's um, in his roots. He's, a, he's somewhere around, around the... Isn't it raced in Florida? Is it, in northern Florida? Where, what, where is he from? Or, or is he, no, where he's living now. Where, where I thought he moved, stayed in San Diego. I thought that he's moved east. Oh, he saw, I think he maybe has brought up in Florida. So, yeah, so what was I mean, Heading to Jacksonville? I've seen all kinds of conspiracy theories. You think I'm a conspiracy theorist. You should read <laughs> yes, some of are. the, you should read some of the pro, the uh, procrastination, not procrastination. <laughs> some the of pres- the prestigitation. The what? He's <laughs> the making words up now, Mike. Yeah. Um, one of them had Rivers signing with Jacksonville and Jacksonville yeah. trading Nick Foles back to Philadelphia yeah. or trading Nick Foles to Indianapolis yeah. as a starter. Um, I think Indianapolis would be a, a good fit for Rivers if they really do want to move on p- from Jacoby Brissett because mm. they've got the receivers and the offensive line that could make him really effective there. Um, a lot of people think he's lost the juice in his arm. I'm not mm. 100% convinced that that it's totally gone. Um, but you have to be able to protect him. He's not a mobile quarterback no. at all. Although he does, He's tough. He is tough. He does stand in against the rush. But you want to be able to give him weapons. I mean, some people are talking about Tampa, yeah. assuming that they move on from Jameis Winston. And that should they. I mean, should Tampa. Cause That's it's all a tough one. I, that right? depends on how much you think Bruce Arians can, can you know, mold the interceptions away yeah. from him. Um, and how much Winston will want to stay. You know, if he's a project, he shouldn't get the kind of money that he might expect to get as a 30-touchdown guy. you got to say, well, you're a 30-interception guy. Are you sure? Um, and then the <laughs> other question is, who else is going to is, is going to want him? You know, because a lot of this mm. speculation really is meaningless until we know who's going to stay with the teams, right. which teams are going to franchise him. The, well, let's look at that. So we've got Brady the, and the Patriots, Cam and the Panthers, Dalton, it looks like Dalton's definitely out of Cincy, right? You would think uh, so. And I guess, not that he's a starter, but Foles will be on the market, you would think? Foles will probably be on the market. And the question then is whether Jacksonville actually draft a quarterback, mm. whether they think Minshew can get them through a season or even sign another quarterback. You right. know, if Cam becomes a free agent, that's that becomes a very interesting situation because Carolina has to be in the market for another quarterback. Mm. Matt Rule's going to run a somewhat different offense, I think, than Carolina was running um, with and without, without Cam. Um, so a veteran 
you know, a veteran going there could be a spot. Rivers could even be, a, you know, a, a candidate for that for mm. that kind of that kind of job. What about Brady, Mike? Because I don't see a market for Brady except in the sense that a team that wants to promote him, like the Raiders, right. say that, that or, the, a lot char- of buzz or about the Chargers, that. Or the Chargers who might desperately attempt it. To... See, I don't see. I, but if I'm Brady, the Raiders might make a certain amount of sense, right? Because they they're loaded they're offensively. They've, yeah. they've got an offensive line. They've right. got a running back. You know, they've got weapons you can use. San Diego, they're not contending. San Diego, the Chargers. <laughs> let's call them the Chargers. You could call them San Diego if <laughs> you want. Moving, they, I know who you mean. The Carson Chargers, the San <laughs> sure. the Dominguez Hills. Car- are they definitely Chargers. still in LA? If they moved, in the they're still in, okay. they're still in LA. Um, they've got you know they need to rebuild the offensive yeah. line, uh, which for Brady is a no no because look at he's not mobile either. Yeah, he's less mobile. And what what Brady does is get rid of the ball or or just take the sack without getting hit to protect himself more more than Rivers does. Rivers is a classic stand in there, you know, until the very last second and and take the hit to get the pass away. So Brady would be committing suicide to go to go to the Chargers. But he's going to want a contending team, right? I mean, he's not. It's unlikely he's going to go to a serious contender because they're not going to need a quarterback. But he's going to want a team that is has a shot at it. There's two. There's two questions. One one is how much money does he actually want? from another team or does he just want to get the offer you know how much money will he play for he doesn't need the money the difference between 20 million and 30 million to him is not going to be is not a huge thing right um, forgive my saying so no it's um, a fair point but it, you're, you're saying it's the it's a really interesting point you make because when you get players at this stage of their career uh, and particularly of the the, the professional approach that Brady clearly has, and he's demonstrated that and put his money where his mouth is in the past with the Patriots, right? And he's born into or married into extra wealth as well. He doesn't need the money, but is it more about he, the? Is it more about the principle of? I think taking a low deal is going to compromise his. I think. Profile. I think that's probably what it is, and I think he's probably a little bit wary of doing that one more time to the, for the Patriots because maybe he's not sure where he stands with the Patriots, mm. whether they really do want him back, whether that whole Bill Belichick, Robert Kraft, Jimmy Garoppolo story mm. has preyed on him. You know, mm. who's, I don't know. I bet it ha- I mean, I, I can imagine it would have to oh, the most, don't, We don't even right? know if it's true. You know, Seth Wickersham, you know. Decent writer, credible writer. But he may have been extrapolating from what sure. people have told him sure. who, who are not necessarily excellent. As a, the second Fair thing enough. is, will the Patriots invest to create the offense that will make Brady effective again? Right. What do they need? What do they need? They need at least one good offensive lineman. Mm-hmm. Maybe they might need two if, if, if Joe Tooney is, is, is going away. Um, they need a tight end. Need they receiver. need probably at least one outside receiver. Probably four receivers, really, let's be honest. Well, right? the question is, if you if, if you have one good outside receiver mm. or a guy like Antonio Brown who mm. can play inside-outside, inside, then Nikhil Harry probably becomes more effective mm. um, a, as a threat. And and you got to assume that he's going to be more comfortable in his second year, yeah. hopefully. Yeah. Edelman you can save because Edelman doesn't have to be your number one guy, Go-to so guy. he still has sure. another effective year maybe as a slot guy. Sure. Um, but I think that's the that's for him would be the big thing. You need to get me three or four pieces that are going to make our offense what it was. It doesn't have to be the the 2007 Patriots offense, mm. but it has to be a functional offense because if they had a functional offense and if the referees had not given Kansas City go. the advantage <laughs> in that game, yeah. they would have been, had home field advantage in the playoffs. It's a fair point. It's probably the weakest offense we've seen ever for the Belichick Patriots. 
in terms of personnel. It reminds me of the year when their number one receivers were Jabbar Gaffney mm-hmm. and Rache Caldwell. God, now you're, we're going back to what is that? What year was that? <laughs> what, what year? I'm trying to think. Was it 2008, 2009? Gaffney was that the was that the Matt Castle? That was the one where where Rache Caldwell drops drops the two passes right. in the one game. Sure. But but if you go back, you think about who were the receivers when they won their first Super It was Troy Brown. Yeah, sure. Um, sure. Donald Givens. You know, not not big name receivers, not big threats, but they had it. You know, they had the offensive. Their offensive line played better, and their defense, um, their defense played well enough mm. uh, to get them the ball. And that was the thing. They they went twelve and four. Yeah. And again, like I say, they should have beaten the Chiefs. Yeah. Um, they should never lost to the Dolphins. They never should have lost to the Dolphins. That, but you yeah. can't blame anybody but themselves. Yeah. But they did that with a mediocre offense. Yes. Yeah. 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 Mediocre is exactly the word. All right. You mentioned Antonio Brown. Uh, his apology. He's on like the continues. apology world too. Well, he really is. And Ben Roethlisberger, the lucky recipient, latest lucky <laughs> recipient. This is what Brown said. Mostly a you, a little bit of me, he wrote. Uh, I never realized how good I had it. Got caught up in my emotion. It's never been another connection like what we done in the past decade. I appreciate you. Antonio Brown is clearly attempting reconciliation with everybody he's slighted or spoken out against. That's a positive sign because he's, whether you, I know you can doubt maybe the sincerity of it or whether he's got people around and saying, look, if you want to get a deal, you've got to do this. But it's been a really unpleasant, uh, phase watching him unravel in front of our eyes. He clearly doesn't appear to be at all well mentally. That's, that's the impression that we get from watching him. Uh, and there's a very real chance he'll never play football again. I think that's, in a nutshell, um, I think he knows he has to, you know, reconstruct a lot of bridges that he's tried to burn. Yeah. Um, I think he probably honestly now realizes he never had it so good, mm. you know, and he talked his way and, and, you know, out, out of that situation, which, which was, which was perfect for him. Um, and that I think is, is the real problem in, in the league is it's, you could call it the disease of me. Uh, which is always which is always a problem on successful teams. Everybody thinks it's their, you know, they were such a big part of the success. They deserve more reward. And but city receivers too, right? Res- anyway. And that's that was good. I'm sorry, okay. No, that's okay. <laughs> you you got it. And receivers are in are in that show off position. Receivers yeah. and defensive backs are the show offs of football because. They play on a little island, mm. and it's one on one most of the time. They are the the NBA basketball players of 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 the NFL. They're the boxers in a way of the NFL. Everybody sees when you get beat. Everybody sees when you, when you do something really well. Mm. And so they they have not all of them, obviously, but it's very easy to adopt the braggadocio of you know of of that kind of star star performer, and and it go it does go to your head, and you know. Um, We've seen we've seen enough stories about the difficulty of adapting to that, on top of the difficulty of adapting to being a very highly paid young star in a world where people are you're used to having people grease the skids for you, mm. and you know all of a sudden you do something that nobody can grease the skids for, and you have to take the responsibility yourself. It's a very difficult thing to do. And the entourage around you as well to be always uh, always fun and games. Um, before we get to the mailbag, Mike, let's go one more place. I mentioned Dalton, Andy Dalton uh, in Cincy, uh, clearly moving on by all accounts, and the rumblings coming from the camp, which is no surprise given they're in possession of the number one overall pick, although... Speaking of your conspiracy theories, rumblings around <laughs> that now they still have the number one pick at the moment, but the rumblings around that they might not go for Burrow. There might be 
uh, shopping that pick. Are they, is that all there just to, in case somebody wants to take the bait and puts in an insane offer that they have they, to accept? They would be crazy not to take offers on it. I think that that's mm. for, um, Burrow to me is the, is the one quarterback who might be able to step up and play the first year. Although I'm not even convinced that that's a smart strategy to depend on. I think, I think giving him time, not sure. necessarily a whole year, but giving him, excuse me, time to adjust, um, is a smart thing. Right. Um, which means Andy Dalton doesn't necessarily have to, right. have to be gone unless you think Ryan Finley can get you through the, the, the beginning of the year. Unlikely. Depends what you're aiming at. But, but you know, there are, there are three other quarterbacks of note right now um, in in the conversations of whom I think two is probably a viable candidate um, and Justin Herbert to me yeah. looks like looks like he should be could I mean, be a starter Jordan Love I'm not I'm not sure if he you know is going to step in at that point but but if you trade down and still are in a position to take one of those two guys. Um, now, if it's Tua, you can't get rid of your starting quarterback, or mm. you, you have to have a plan B because you're not sure he's going to be 100 percent fit. Right. Anyway, and Herbert, Herbert, to me, has great upside, but but I'm I'm not sure he's a step into the kind of thing. So mm. yeah, you could get there's a lot of good players there. You mm. know, you could get a court a quarterback you like plus someone else mm. and a, and yeah future draft picks, maybe two other guys plus future draft picks, and and to be honest, Cincinnati needs. A lot Needs of help. The capital, yeah, Not sure. as much help as you'd expect from a team that's as bad as <laughs> Right, they are. okay. You know okay. what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, but, um, but, but nevertheless, yeah. yeah. Nevertheless. Um, so, what, so they've got to listen, you know. One more, actually, before we get to the mailbag on the quarterback. So you just made me realize the Taysom Hill story, uh, where Hill has come out and said he sees himself as a franchise quarterback. Do you yeah. see him as a franchise quarterback? Mm, that's hard. I, I would say no. I, I watched him in one game. He started one preseason game, and he actually played pretty well. Mm. Um, now, whether that's a franchise quarterback, Back, I don't know, but you know he's he's got a decent arm. I don't know how he reads, reacts to, to things like that. But when you think Teddy Bridgewater's probably gone, mm. um, who's not not been in a lot of the discussions, but teams that need a starting quarterback can take Teddy, Teddy Bridgewater. Yeah, sure. I mean, he's a proven NFL starter. Well, his stock's gone up a hell of a lot after his cameo, yeah. or more than a cameo, his understudy performance last you know season. Who, you know who Hill would be a good fit for? John Gruden. Mm. Taysom Hill reminds me of Rich Gannon. Right. If, if Rich Gannon can play, you know, and go to a Super Bowl for John Gruden, yeah. um, then Taysom Hill Taysom, could as well. Taysom Hill might be able to as well. The, the quarterback they should look at simply because his name is so good is Brogan Roback, who, <laughs> yes, who's like the backup name. quarterback for the St. Louis Battlehawks. But like Brogan Roback sounds like some kind of car that, that looks like a, <laughs> looks like a Brogan, a Brogan show, shoe, you know, it's like a four wheel drive with holes in the, in the hood. I'd like to hope that he comes onto the field in a four-wheel drive. <laughs> it would be God, nice. Even if he is the backup, I think it would be great. All right, let's get to the mailbag. I'm Mike, uh, starting with a great handle here, Dangerous. 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 Uh, saluting you, Dangerous, for the handle. Danger Mouse's uh, cousin. <laughs> Quite possibly. Uh, reckon, do we reckon the Lions will cough up $65 million for Darius Slay? And if not, can they replace him? Um, I reckon not, to be honest, because Matt Patricia is the defensive coordinator, and... If he's imbibed enough of the Bill Belichick, you know, Kool-Aid, he's not going to spend that much money on, on a cornerback. Um, he's as good as Slay in the line. Slay's really oh, good. I mean, good. but that's that's the way they roll. Now, now Belichick has twice splashed out big money for cornerbacks. One, yeah. one was Gilmore. Yeah. And Gilmore was Defensive Player of the Year. And one was Revis. Revis, yeah. And Revis sure. did Didn't a fantastic out, job for them um, for a year. So the question, I think the question is, how long do they think 
they can get that Slay can continue to play at that level, mm. and that's where the that's always the problem when when you're renewing contracts. Now the guy wants the big payoff, he wants the guaranteed money, he wants the years, and you want a contract that allows you to get rid of him when he not when he's no longer effective, but when he's no longer worth the money you're paying to a number one court cornerback. Right, and that that will be the equation for them. I th- I would guess in the end, Patricia will try to keep him, but if he has to go, he has to go, mm. and they'll think they can replace him. Mm. I saw another rumor that was Matt Stafford on the trade on the Eddie trading Tell. block. No. Although I don't know why they would do that because I don't know who their other quarterback would be. Sure, you know? um, and he was. I mean, until he got injured, he was a good Nick last season as well. So yeah. it'd be an odd, odd uh, decision to make at this stage, given where they are in terms of evolution. Here's one from Mark. Appreciate this at the NC Show, and certainly, like I say, is how you get in touch with us. Uh, what's more likely? So he's posing a question here for you, Mike. Dak Prescott getting forty mil a year from Jerry Jones or Tom Brady? Signing for the Cowboys. <laughs> and he also adds, uh, am I living in a bizarro world? Yeah, I think so. Well, Jerry lives in a bizarro world, so why not <laughs> no Why not somebody else? Um, Did you see Jerry's yacht in Miami? Yes. <laughs> that is a yacht. I think the, yeah, I think the Costa oh Rican Navy wants it back. <laughs> well, um, why do we have that in our backdrop? That's what we want is our backdrop. Yeah. <laughs> have you yeah. seen our backdrop from that? If you are, go on Twitter and, and look at our backdrop. It's pretty impressive. Someone, someone said it looked like, uh, w, you know, WWE announcers. And I, and I said, Matt and I look like the Spanish announcers sitting there waiting for somebody to jump off the top rope and crash through the middle of the Cat table. Just jacked, just appearing on the table. But uh, anyway, back to um, back. are they going to yeah, cough up? They're going to have to, aren't they? I think they'll have to. I mean, it kind of overvalues Dak, but that's what a top flight starting quarterback, you know, gets these days. Now, with that offensive line and with Zeke Elliott mm. and with, with Amari Cooper, they're not far away from being the perfect situation for you're Tom missing the, Brady. You're missing the obvious thing, and no Jason Garrett. <laughs> no Jason it's a, it's a Garrett. Hard, it's a hard yeah. Um, well, we'll see with the Giants. You yeah, they, he'll come back. <laughs> it's to... a shame Eli left just before Jason arrived. Um, I bet he has the last laugh. But, actually, but you yeah. know that would be a great situation for Tom Brady. But why? Mm. Why would you bring in a 42 year old guy when you've got a you know a, a perfectly good, if not Hall of Fame level mm. quarterback? Um, right. You know, is Dak Prescott? What's well, the Hollywood box office? Is he the second best quarterback in the NFC? No. Is he the third best quarterback in the NFC? You know, it's it's like it's kind of comic he's, in he's a way. In that hole, the very good, very, very good. good you but know? It's, it's, it is strangely comic in a way if they do have to essentially overpay for him, given he was an absolute steal, and then they've got away exactly. with exactly. underpaying for many years. Uh, Chris asks, do the 49ers, speaking of a lot of everyone talking about money, unsurprisingly, do the 49ers pay Sanders? Uh, and I had a look at Sanders' season in, in totality. So uh, I'm just shy of a thousand yards, five touchdowns. Uh, of which for the 49ers, 36 catches, just over 500 yards, and three of those touchdowns in 10 games for the 49ers, and definitely enhanced their offense. But given his age, and I don't think they'll pay. I don't because the age. And, and, and if they don't, I think the Patriots then try to sign him. Because um, yeah. they tried. Apparent from what I heard, yeah, I remember that. they he, tried very hard to get him from Denver, but Elway wouldn't just simply wouldn't do a deal with the Patriots for him, which is why he went to interesting. San, I, that supposedly they made a better offer than San Francisco, and right. Elway just wouldn't give. Bill Belichick, what he wanted. Right. Um, on the, I think on that kind of, uh, partly because they're both in the AFC, but I think also on that thing that, well, if Bill wants it, then it must be bad for me. <laughs> so I'm not going to do it. Um, I, and I think that that's quite a likely situation. I, I think that as good as Emmanuel Sanders is, and he's very good, and, and, mm. and he's a, was a great fit for them, I don't think they can upset the salary structure for him, mm. given the fact that he's one piece who's 
pretty much replaceable. Yes. Maybe not at the same level, but if Kendrick Bourne, yeah, yeah. if Kendrick Bourne comes along, mm-hmm. you know, that th- you can find another guy who, who will serve that mm-hmm. role. But, um, you know, I, I love Emmanuel Sanders. I think he's a great player. Um, and, uh, you know, Jeff, Jeff uh, Reinbold would agree with me. Lovely stuff. Uh, at the NC Show, fire those in all through the off-season, and any time my mic is in the house, we are mail-bagging it. What's going on with the Patreon column? Uh, still rolling weekly? Um, not weekly, mm. no. It's just going to be once or twice, you know, here here and there, at least twice a month. Um, nice. Probably more more as we get toward the draft. Um, I was debating whether to let it go until next season. No, don't do um, it. But no, that's what... A number, a number of the readers said no they they would just wanted to see it and the interesting thing was i get so caught up in the picks yes right in my my battle against AccuScore, which wound up a tie it was a tie of course they yeah, picked yeah. the super bowl right and i picked it wrong was AccuScore out in miami did you see him well and it's a machine right? <laughs> yeah i think it's roll passes <laughs> on the beach at one point yeah and <laughs> thanks um, for explaining it's I, a machine. <laughs> I get i get all caught up i get all caught up in, in the picks machine. but actually yeah. it's it, the people the people who read the column actually Read it for the analysis and, and the you know the, the pathetic jokes. I like the gags more than the analysis. Yeah. yeah, but that's how I've always been. But you know the funny thing is too, and and that's how it works. It work. It helps me because I'm, by the time I finished doing it at NFL UK, mm. I was down to like fifty words a, a pick. They mm. were saying we you know we don't want more than eight hundred words for the column, and and you know you've got. 13, 14, 15, 16 games each week. And yeah. so, so I was really having to cut it down. But oftentimes I'll look at a game and I'll say, okay, they're going to win. And then I'll write my analysis. And by the time I finish the analysis, I've, I've, I've convinced myself <laughs> the other that way. the other team's going to win. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, Amazing. And I think that's a, you know, I AccuScore doesn't have these problems. He no, just bashes them out in 0. I, I, is, I think AccuScore does like 10,000 simulations or something. Yeah. They, they run the statistical game through. In a second, and, yeah, and, yeah. And then, yeah. And, you know, I'm on my second, <laughs> my second simulation <laughs> by the third paragraph. Sure. <laughs> Cracking stuff, bud. Uh, at Cosmos Sports, if you want to follow, I'm Mike on Twitter. Tom Lugabill's next. Joining us once again after his superb debut last week and after a superb debut for ESPN in the first weekend of coverage of the XFL. Tom Lugabill, good to see you. Oliver Luck, no less, said that it was beyond his wildest dreams how the first weekend went. So that is a, a decent praise indeed. Is uh, is it how you read it? Right in the thick of it on the sidelines. Is that how you saw the first weekend of the XFL? Uh, absolutely. And I, and I think it's what Oliver's referencing there is on two fronts. Number one, the attendance and the turnout and the fan interest in all the venues um, across the country. And then secondly... Uh, the performance and the quality of play. I mean, it, it is hard to go from 70 players to 53 players, all a bunch of guys that don't know each other. You go through four weeks of training camp, no preseason games, and then bam, it's live television. You're expected to put a quality product on the field. So I think on both of those fronts, you could say that week one was a success. Now all of a sudden you set a standard. And each and every week, you're going to be expected to meet and exceed that standard as each and every team gets better and moves along throughout the season. We were talking about this briefly before before we came to you, and and I said the thing that was most interesting to me was that the league was in 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 a way selling itself on the rules changes, but not like mm-hmm. the first XFL where the rules were designed to have no. a, a kind of tougher, meaner kind of show. But this one was that too- was before player safety. Absolutely, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, and and this one's designed to sort of speed the game up, make the scoring a little bit easier, make make it a little bit more exciting. And I said, for the generation that grows up watching football on red zone, this is the perfect mm-hmm. game. 
Well, it really is. And, and you, when you look at the rules, and they were well-received too, and actually I think we've got to give the broadcast partners a lot of credit for that by giving it a wide look when you first see it so you kind of get a sense of visually what it looks at like, and then we've got to explain the hows and the whys. But really two areas uh, stick out to me, especially with the kickoff return, mm-hmm. is you want to create field position, give the offense a, a chance to get off to a fast start, and then you want to still enhance player safety and then also have an exciting play. If you look at the New York-Tampa opening kickoff, man, that, that returner for New York found a crease, and next thing you know, he's midfield, and mm-hmm. it happens in the blink of an eye. So you don't have that immediate dangerous collision. You're not in danger of having that. You still have the excitement of the play, all right? And then the field position for the offense, because really, what, what do fans want? They want a fast-paced game. They want offense. They want to see points on the board, or at least teams in scoring position quickly, as opposed to starting on your own 12-yard line and having to go the length of the field. Right, and the stats bear that out. 35 kickoffs in the XFL over the weekend, 32 of them returned. That's a 91% yeah. ratio. And for context of the NFL, in this uh, season, just gone regular season, only 36% of kickoffs returned. So uh, the stats certainly well, bearing also up. also, two guys, interesting on that one rule, and everybody was wondering if it would happen. The, the little wrinkle in the rules, if the kicker does not actually get the ball between the 20-yard line and the goal line, the ball for the offense comes out to the plus 45. Mm. Plus 45. That happened in our game. So next thing you know, and it actually led to three points right before halftime, right. that there was no way you would have gotten had the kicker not botched the kickoff. So. I'm telling you, there's a lot of things you better do right in that play. Well, you talk about your game. We were watching that uh, over here. And, you know, Mike and I was obviously have both done sideline in the NFL. And it's great. You're up close to the action. You're up close to the benches. But the expert taking it to the next level, you're interviewing coaches and players in, in the middle of the game. I mean, that, that that's quite a challenge as a broadcaster. Well, let, listen, our, our production truck actually deserves a lot of credit because they were juggling a lot of balls at once. Right. I mean, you've got players, Mike coaches mic we have free reign and access to go anywhere we want to go on the field our mic especially mine because i'm a part of the analysis side of the broadcast diana's more on the reporting side my microphone's open all the time so i can speak at any time i can jump in at any time but in order to relay something back to our truck i have a little button that takes me off air and i can tell our producer hey listen i've got pep hamilton right here on the bench talking to cardell you might want to open up his mic or I can say, hey, listen, I'm going to go and, and talk to Jim Zorn and see if I can get the play call for us. And I can let our truck know so that they kind of can follow us around. And yeah. I will say this, guys. I had my Apple Watch on, okay? In the middle of the fourth quarter, I was at 14,000 steps. <laughs> we were everywhere. And it was so fast-paced. I've never been so exhausted in a broadcast <laughs> in my entire life. We were running, sprinting. Because, you know, you want that instant reaction. Right. You know, you get the pick six. You don't want to talk to that guy four plays later. We've moved on. You want to talk to that guy when he gets to his bench with all the exuberation going on yeah. uh, around him. So, yes, it was it was a lot. We still have tweaks to make. We can be better in a lot of areas, but it was a good start. Have you, you mentioned? Ever, have you ever? Have you? Ever, it'd be great if I could talk over the announcer. <laughs> I'm going to push the buttons on you. Have you ever? When? When's the first time you're going to interview somebody who's got the oxygen mask over his mouth? <laughs> oh well, listen. Fortunately, we don't have any altitude destinations. Uh, yeah. But I can promise yeah. you. I can promise you right now. We. I mean, we even had our first hiccup. 
my opening hit was Cardell Jones. We wanted it to be very organic. We wanted to just have him be warming up. We didn't want him standing there with his helmet off like your traditional interview. So he's Mike, right? So we're talking about this pregame when we're, when we're prepping this. And I was like, you know what? I can ask him the question, but I don't have to put the mic in his face because he's already mic'd up. And then we didn't, we didn't turn his mic on live in the open <laughs> of course, for yeah. like the first portion of the interview. It's like, oh man, how um, did we blow that one? So that happens. Yeah. That's part of the gig. So we're, we're again, we're, there's a lot of th- little tweaks and things to, to work through, but whether it's an oxygen mask, uh, whether it's a mouthpiece that I have, I'm <laughs> yeah. sure something will come up. My favorite was Jim Zorn, and I guess the old school guys have got to get used to it. Uh, I don't know if he was aware or not that everybody around the world could hear him calling the plays, but he was still covering covering his mouth with the clipboard. They all it's great. Did. But they all do it. Yeah. Yeah. I watched it throughout the weekend. It's just, yeah, they're, they're sitting there going, I'm going to go zoom right, trips left, uh, 31, 8, blah, blah, blah. And, and they, they, it's funny because they do know. But subconsciously, it's just ingrained right. in them to be so protective. Because what? And listen, let's call it what it is: the coaching profession is a paranoia profession. Mm. They're not. They're not into giving away trade secrets. And in this league, <laughs> there are no secrets. I interviewed. You better get, <laughs> oh, you better get creative, man! You better have three or four different calls for the same thing because every week it's going to be charted by the opponent. I interviewed your father any number of times. He wouldn't even tell me what day the game was being played. <laughs> <laughs> I would say this, though. I give the coaches a lot of credit, and and they knew what was coming. They were all told when they were hired, understand this is on you as coaches to get creative. Don't So don't don't complain about access. Don't complain about this stuff being out there over the airways. It's going to be. We're telling you up front. So you as coaches, get smart and get creative and figure it out. And I think the coaches embrace that, and they're really going to work through that throughout the course of the season. I know you were a quarterback's coach, and in one uh-huh. sense, this league will will rise or fall on the strength of its quarterbacking. How, how did you view that in week one? I thought it was very clean for the most part. Um, I think so much of that is reflective of how far along you are as an offensive line, because that offensive line unit, when you're, when you're in a supplemental league like NFL Europe or the old XFL or this XFL or the old world league, um, that's the hardest part to put together. It's the hardest group to get to mesh and gel in a short period of time. And that's going to have a direct impact on the quarterback. What I found at the completion of the weekend after viewing all four games, it became abundantly clear to me that two things are going to start to, to emerge. Number one, if you happen to have an athletic quarterback, you're going to have an advantage. Number two, these coaches, with most of them having a heavy NFL background, are going to have to start taking the Andy Reid approach and saying, you know what, this can't be about my system. It has to be about what the players can do. Mm-hmm. And you're going to start to see more zone read and RPOs and designated quarterback runs with these offenses saying, all right, we can't just be West Coast. We can't be multiple pro style. We need to kind of look like a college team. And I think as the weekend unfolds, and Houston's a prime example, that quarterback at Houston is going to cause some problems. Yeah, I mean, he was, of all the guys I saw, he was the most impactful, difficult guy to not only defend, but to have to prepare for going forward. Because not only is he an accomplished passer, but at any given moment, man, P.J. Walker just takes off and he's gone. Yeah. So I think you're going to see continued athleticism be a, a focal point of this quarterback spot. Yeah, he was named Player of the Week, P.J. Walker, yeah. today of the four oh, touchdowns sure. for, played, for him for Matt Rule. Played for Matt Rule. There That's you go. Right. Played for Matt Rule. Deep dive at Iron Mike. Was pretty good. And also got Pepper Johnson. Uh, Pepper <laughs> Johnson, the boot. Pepper Johnson lasted what 48 hours. I mean, we know, now we know the XFL is serious when the coordinators are going after one game. What right. was going on there? I mean, no messing around there from LA. 
no messing around. And, and, you know, it's been my experience, having spent some time in the coaching profession, that usually that's not something that's a knee-jerk reaction. That's usually something maybe from a personality conflict, the difference in philosophy or the direction maybe the head coach wants to go as opposed to the coordinator. And all of a sudden it all builds up. You have a bad outing on defense and it comes to a head and you got to make a change. Mm-hmm. I, I have a hard time believing that you go through all the training camp, prepare for the first game, and then all of a sudden off of one poor performance, you say, all right, you're done. You're right. out of here. So I think there's probably a lot more that led up to that. Yeah, I, I said to Nat, I said to Nat 20, just before we started the interview, probably philosophical differences. Like one is a, sure. one's a no, neo, neoplatonist and the other one's a logical positivist. Mm-hmm. But you're right. They're but, not screwing around. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I think what happened, my guess would be for week one, he said, okay, we'll do it your way. Mm-hmm. And your way didn't work. And so he said, okay, we're going to have to go a different way. Well, they're unbeaten. Yeah, I tell you, and I don't know, and I don't know if they had a problem, but they basically, told their one of the most talented defensive players, hey, there's the door. Don't let the doorknob hit you on the butt on the way out. And so whether they've got a locker room dynamic or a chemistry issue, Winston Moss is at least taking the steps that he feels are necessary to nip it in the bud right now so they can move forward. Winston Moss described it as difficult, the decision, <laughs> understatement yeah. of the week. Yeah. Um, the Roughnecks, uh, after that big win, take on this weekend, week two, uh, the St. Louis Battlehawks, who also won uh, their open, a very different kind of style, though, 59 in a real slugfest oh. against Dallas on the road. And what I'm hearing, Tom, is that the St. Louis are expecting 30,000 for their home opener. I, I, that's what I'm hearing as well. And it wouldn't surprise me to see what we had in DC, to see, uh, what, what Dallas was able to do in the, in that kind of reconfigured baseball state in Houston, have the whole lower bowl filled up. Um, wouldn't surprise me one bit. They're starving for football in St. Louis and mm. they no longer have it. And then what also helps is you get a one and O team coming home. You get a team that performed well on the field is obviously going to run the football. The quarterback, that guy might be, and I don't want to project too far forward. Jordan Tom is probably one of the more uh, less experienced players in the league at quarterback. By the end of the season, might end up being the most dangerous player in the league at quarterback. He can make all the throws. He's a good runner. Kind of saw him get into a groove and settle in a little bit. So his confidence is only going to go up. They're 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 a pretty good football team, and their their approach is different. They're going to line up and bloody your nose, man. They're not they're not four and five wides all the time. They're going to line up and they're going to run the football. Yeah, I was surprised when Tomu came out and he didn't actually stick with somebody, at, you know, at least on the practice right. squad. Because this is the guy who led the SEC in passing when there were some really good quarterbacks in that league. Sure. He beat out Shea Patterson. I mean, that was one of the main reasons Shea Patterson had to transfer away from Old Miss yeah. and, and transfer to Michigan. So he's only going to get better. That's the one thing you asked me about the quarterbacks earlier. There's a lot of high upside guys. Guys mm-hmm. that you look at and you're like, that guy's really physically gifted. He just needs to play. He needs to get in the right place at the right time. Um, you know, I, I really only saw two teams where I said, okay, they're going to have to, they're going to have to work around some things. That was Seattle and Tampa. They've got to, they've got to answer some questions at quarterback. I thought the other teams, and of course, Dallas is going to get Andrew Jones back hopefully this week because mm-hmm. they'll look like an entirely off, different offense with him. But there, there's some guys that, that have got some ability to drive this league forward. Well, you mentioned that Tampa Bay had a t- terrible day. Uh, Aaron Murray in particular sacked five times. Uh, and the defenders and the Guardians square off on Saturday. Uh, yeah. The Guardians, after that win, uh, jumped right up to the top of the Vegas odds as, as favorites to win the whole thing. That's how good their win was. Uh, so that's a tasty matchup. Which game are you covering, Thomas, we can? I've got that. Oh, you got that one. Okay. And, and, and I'll say this. I, it, it, it's just good fortune. It's luck. 
So that venue, Audi Field, the soccer venue, could not have been a better situation. So it holds 19,000. They got around 17.5, and those fans were not kidding around. So you had this great atmosphere on network television on ABC, and then it just so happens we get D.C. two weeks in a row with two 1-0 teams in that same venue mm. on ABC. And I think that's a real help. The league couldn't have forecasted that because you don't know. But what a great setup. And, you know, you were, I was watching actually tape this morning on, on New York, and I started going through some of the things that transpired during that game. They played great red zone defense. New York only ran 51 plays. Total. Wow. Lowest amount of offensive plays in the entire league in week one and did not score a point, though, in the second half offensively. Mm. So this thing, the, after seeing them on tape and on TV, watching D.C. in person, I think this is going to be one of the most evenly matched games of the weekend. It's funny when you said about luck, you know, having nothing to do with it. In mm. the in the XFL, luck either has nothing to do with it or everything to do with it. <laughs> everything to do with it, yeah. Tom. Right. Each and every week. Cracking work uh, on your first weekend. We're looking forward to watching it this weekend as well and having you back next week. Uh, so look forward to that at Tom Lugabill if you want to follow the big man on Twitter. We'll see you next week. Bye for now. Podcast Network.